Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under Tuesday Crew. Uh, tonight's show is called Lucky Ange and I'm your host, Happy Stephen. I'm joined tonight by Happy Gav and Happy Willie. So, Gav, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling very well. I'm glad you chose Happy for all of us. I thought you were going to go with Baldy, Gav. And <laughs> I shudder to think what you were going to go for, for Willie. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I thought we'd think of something. <laughs> but I think we'll stay with Happy. What about you, Will? Are you feeling happy? Yeah, really happy. I mean, we've had a great result of the weekend. What's not to be happy about, like? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll get dived, dived right into the game. The Via Play Cup final uh, on Sunday past. 2-1, um, sorry, 2-1 win for the good guys. Two goals from Kyogo Furuhashi. Um, gave us the first trophy of the season, the first leg of the treble. Um, and sort of... You know, winning a cup final is great. Beating Rangers in a cup final is even better. Beating Rangers in a cup final where you've spent the whole week listening to how good, how much better they are and how much they're going to beat us by is so much better again. So it was just brilliant after all the trash talk during the week from Fashion Sakala, uh, from Michael Beale and from various other people in the media to just put them right back in their box straight away at the first time of asking. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, 2-1 to Celtic. Kyogo Furuhashi, one goal just before half-time and one not long after half-time. Uh, Rangers managed to pull themselves back into the game with a bit of a fortuitous deflection from a set-piece. Um, and we had a bit of a rocky spell for a few minutes after that, but went on to finish the game, the stronger team, um, and probably should have scored a few more goals. So uh, I'll go to you first, Gav. What was your overall thoughts on the game? Well, my prediction on the game from last week, you could look at it two ways. One, it was miles off because I said it'll either be Celtic impose themselves on the game, they play the Celtic way, Rangers won't lay a glove on us and we'll run out relatively comfortable winners, 3-0 or so. Or it'll be a typical Rangers will sort of you know, spoil the game, shut things down. It'll be scrappy. There'll be some crappy goals with a lot of luck involved as to which way they'll fall. And it won't be a great spectacle. And I think sort of in a way, both of those things happened. Like the first 60 minutes or so was the former. We were, I thought, really good. And we played our way and it didn't seem to have any bearing on the fact that it was Rangers. Could have been anyone. We were just Celtic doing the Celtic thing. And at 2-0 up, I was incredibly comfortable. And then, you know, sort of things changed. The goal came, substitutions. And then it sort of settled into that other type of game, the scrappy affair, typical Celtic Rangers, not that much football being played. But, you know, we weathered that storm. And in the end, you know, we could have had a couple of goals at the end. We could have had a few more goals in the first half as well. Things had a fallen our way. So I think overall it was pretty comfortable and we were by far the better team and totally deserved it. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that, Gavin. The only, if, if there was anything disappointing about the game is I think there was a 4 or a 5-1 in there for us um, if we'd really forced the issue and we certainly missed a few chances at the end um, where we could have buried the game, particularly Haksabanovich had a couple of times he was through in goal and um, Matt O'Reilly had a chance too. So I think if, if the game had finished 4 or 5-1, you know, Rangers couldn't have had many complaints. 
Um, so from that point of view, you know, it, it could have been better, but it was very comfortable, as you say. Um, and and Wally, did, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think we were comfortable, like Gavin says, for the first 60 minutes. We, we controlled the game, we controlled the tempo. Rangers tried to to get the ball, but they just couldn't get any way through. We got the ball back, we moved it around well. And then from 60 to sort of 65 uh, to the 80th minute, Rangers had a bit more possession than us and they had a bit a lot more of the play. We couldn't keep a hold of the ball for that period. We, every time we got it, we seemed, to, we, we seemed to turn over possession quite cheaply. But then in the last 10 minutes... When Haksabanovic came on, I thought we were back into the comfort zone then. I thought that if anyone's going to score here, it's going to be us from that point on. So, yeah, it was a comfortable sort of victory in the end. Then. Has somebody got a clicky pen? I hear pen clicking. Is that, is that what oh, I yeah, hear? That may, that may be me. <laughs> I'll put the clicky pen down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, so, yeah, the, the first half was fairly comfortable, as you say, for Celtic. We just played our own game, as we always do. We just, you know, passed the ball around um, and recycled possession whenever we had to. Um, from a Rangers point of view, they really had nothing to offer except, you know, throwing long balls up the park and try to fight for the second ball. And we kept their main attacking weapons, which is generally their fullbacks. We kept them very quiet. Tavernier was, was very poor. Um, and, and Barisic was just as poor as he, as he usually is um, against us. So, you know, there was no surprises from them. Uh, and our first sort of look at what Michael Beale has brought to the team, uh, and the answer is not very much. Uh, they were much of a muchness from what they were last season. Um, they must be, their fans must be very disappointed with the, the, the way their team performed, particularly the team selections. They brought a couple of players in. Um, in the, the January transfer window, we bought the, the boy Raskin in uh, from Belgium and Cant Cantwell from Norwich City. Left both of them on the bench and went with the usual guys, uh, Lundstrom um, and Kamara in midfield. And if you watch particularly Celtic's first goal, uh, Kyogo's first goal, both Kamara and Lundstrom are really badly at fault. They're both uh, well off the pace. Aaron Moy drops into a pocket space just behind the strikers and nobody gets anywhere near him. Uh, he plays a ball through it to Taylor. Lundstrom very lazy, tracking back into the box. Uh, and um, Taylor gets squares the ball for, um, you know, Maeda has a swing at it. Fortunately, misses. Uh, and, and Kyogo's got, a, got a, a, a tap in. So it was a great goal from our point of view, but pretty shocking from their point of view. And, um, and the second goal was pretty much the same. It was a poor ball from Tavernier into midfield. Callum McGregor intercepts, uh, plays it into Moy, who finds Hitati in in space inside the box and another great squared ball. Kyogo just makes it all about getting to the ball first in front of the defender and, and, and taps it home. So I think from our point of view, it was a, a great performance, but they must be really disappointed. What do you think, Gav? Well, I know they are because I've been watching lots of Rangers chit-chat uh, on YouTube, you know, to hear what their responses are. And like, a lot of these guys who do equivalent things to this kind of podcast, who are Rangers fans, they actually talk a fair amount of sense. You know, they're not the worst of the Rangers fans, if you ask me. And um, some of the things they were talking about was, well, the first goal, you know, we had three strikers lining up to finish that off. First of all, Maeda, whose touch was about as good in the first half as that effort on goal. Absolutely appalling. 
thankfully he totally didn't change the direction of it and it came through to Kyogo. And if Kyogo hadn't have scored, Jota was right behind him, wasn't he, to finish that off? Yeah, so, that's uh, right, he was, yep. And that came after a period of, there were several chances, like Jota had a shot on target, which was saved by their man of the match, McGregor. And Kyogo had a couple of efforts ahead of that he could have done better with. And then one that he tried to lift into the top corner just went narrowly wide. So there were chances galore. And then, as you say, the second goal, a similar thing, you know, the, the low driven cross across the front goal finished off by Kyogo. Now, one of the funnier things that I'd heard from Rangers fans was them saying that Kyogo's rubbish. He only scores tap-ins. But, like, he's the tip of the spear, and Ange Ball's all about, you know, getting him on the end of things. And, you know, that low ball across the front of goal is such a part of Ange's philosophy, and he just wants people breaking their neck to get in there and finish it off. So if he just continues to course score, you know, 30 tap-ins a season, I'd be very happy. But they are furious Rangers fans. There's no doubt about it. We talked about this last week, didn't we? That how long is it going to take before they start turning on Ian Beale? And quite a lot of them are already voicing it. There's lots of people saying, I'm not Beale out just yet, but, you know, and if he doesn't, you know, oversee a, a huge overhaul of that Rangers squad, I don't think he's going to be there terribly long time. I think there's going to be a lot of pain for him. Yeah, I think that's a realization that's dawning on a lot of them as they need a complete enough, a complete overhaul and a rebuild. Um, what struck me as funny was that piece of performative art he carried out on the pitch after the game where he had a little huddle. And um, who that was about was Michael Beale. That was all that was about. It wasn't about the players. Yeah. It wasn't about the fans. It was about Michael Beale saying, "Look at me, I'm." You know, giving the players a pep talk on the pitch. That could just as easily been done up the tunnel. They were quick enough to disappear up the tunnel before the trophy got presented. So they had plenty of time to do little pep talks in the dressing room. So that to me just summed him up as a man and as a manager. He just tried to make it all about him again. Yeah. Um, and you I get, think you get the feeling, I get the feeling that he thinks that huddle is going to form part of the documentary about himself one day that shows yeah. what a great manager he yeah. was. The and Netflix we can trace it back to that Netflix. cup final defeat. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he is. He's got a very high opinion of himself. Yeah, for sure. Um, so who do you think, who would you pick as your star performer, Willie, of the team? Who would be your man of the match? I thought um, Callum McGregor for me. He just, he's a fulcrum in what the team balances on. Everything just seems to come to him or through him. It's just it was phenomenal to watch him play in that first half, just get stuck straight into it. Some of the balls he was receiving, you'd have two or three players closing down on him and he'd be still standing there, look, give it me, give it me, I'll take it. And he's taking the ball in, and these players are closing down on him and he's moving on fast. I thought he was just brilliant, man. I mean, it's hard to say anyone was bad, like Kyogo as well was brilliant up front. He finished his two goals, he ran the whole game just pulling defenders all over where he could, trying to manoeuvre them in and out of positions to try and make openings for other players. Hatati was brilliant. And Aaron Moy, it just, the three of them, they, I, I've got on my notes here, the second goal, if you watch it, Callum, uh, Callum McGregor picks up the ball and he's got three players closing down him. He moves it on to Aaron Moy, who seems to nudge somebody off to give himself a yard of space. 
and passes it into Hatati, who breaks into the box and crosses it across to Kyogo. And at, at all points, they're surrounded by Rangers players and they're just going through them. You know what I mean? It was just, I, it was just a joy to watch that second goal for me. But yeah, Callum McGregor for me, it was a captain's performance, and for me, he was the man of the match. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be rushing to disagree with that, Willie. Um, for me, I, I would just like to mention uh, Starfelt, Carl Starfelt, a guy we spoke about last week when we talked about having a mistake in him. I thought he was outstanding. He was absolutely imperious at the back. He won every header, every challenge, yeah. and he was very composed on the ball when he had to be, even to the point of doing a bit of a Cruyff turn in his own box, um, which you're not sure. Ange would have been too happy with that, but it was uh, when it comes off, it looks good. But I thought, you know, yeah. he, he's, he's, he's a bit maligned among the Celtic fans, and and, and I think um, we won't un, we won't realise how good a defender he is until he's gone, um, yeah. because he's a very very good player. And that, for me, he would probably just about shade it for man of the match. Although, you know, McGregor to absolutely showed his his head and shoulders above anything in the Rangers team, despite mm-hmm. what they would, what the fans would tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Starfield I mean, was fantastic, I think, as yeah, well, I have to say. But uh, because the match was won in midfield, I think you might want to look there for your man of the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rangers fans were uh, fuming at the team selection for their midfield, Lundstrom and Kamara, two older sort of donkeys of yesteryear up against our nimble-feated midfielders and Aaron Moy. I mean, he's never fitted to, but you know what I mean. Yeah, watching it, I think the Rangers' game plan was to get to half time nil nil, and either come out in the second half and go all guns blazing like they did at Ibrox, or get to the sixty-minute mark at nil nil and bring on the fresh legs in midfield and try and inject pace into the game and try and hit us there. But two nil up, their game plan was out the window, wasn't it? Like, you know, that's I mean? not the way to beat Celtic. The way is to no, it's not. To be all out straight from blood and thunder from the first minute, yeah. try and upset things. That's yeah. what's worked in the past. All, you know, all they did for the first half was try and overload the midfield and just try and flood us out. But like I say, Callum McGregor, Aaron Moy, Rio Hattati—they've got the skills and the abilities to just to play out through that. Like you know, what I mean, they're, like you say, they're showing the whole time. It doesn't matter who was around them; they're showing. It gives it, gives it. I'll take it, and they're taking it, and they're they're moving the ball about quite freely at times. Like. In a Parkman field. Yeah, one of, one, of the boys, should, you know? one of the boys on the Weekend Review podcast yesterday, um, which goes in a, a bit more of a deep dive analysis into the game. So please have a listen to that if you haven't yet. Um, they mentioned the fact that Aaron Moy, the first five yards are, are, are carried out in his head. Um, so he, it makes up for his lack of pace and his lack of um, acceleration. And it, it, really, it really is true. He's, he's, he's two or three touches ahead of everyone else before he even gets the ball. Uh, and you see the way he drifts into pockets of space um, and drifts off his man. You know, And they've done it the whole game. He's just an absolutely exceptional player. Uh, and I'll put my hand up uh, and admit that I wasn't hugely excited when we signed him. But he certainly shut me up uh, and a load of other Celtic fans as well. So he, he's in the team on merit. And, you know, I can't, it's, going to, it's going to take a big effort for Matt O'Reilly to dislodge him. Yeah, so lots of positives. But one thing I think we ought to discuss is uh, Leila Bada. What did you think about his little tumble in the box? How awkward was it for you to, you know, square that with everything else? 
Yeah, I mean it's it's a dive, isn't it? I mean he's 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 gone in there and he's anticipated the contact from uh, from Davis. Uh, Davis has pulled out the contact, um, and he's 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 committed to the dive, as it were. So yeah, no complaints. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he took he tried to buy one. He took the dive and he and he got booked for it. And you know, fair enough. You know, if we we we, we criticise Ryan Kent for doing the same thing, so of course I'm not gonna, I, I was. I'm not going to I'm not going to go into bat for uh, for Leela Bada no. for that. But you know, yeah. um, I, you know, it's, it's a dive and he got booked. So we Total take take dive. that one and move on. I'm not going to say I bought it, but my nine-year-old daughter dug me up when I got home from work on Monday night. She's like, oh, Dad, why were you shouting penalty, penalty at 6.30 in the morning for? <laughs> so yeah, I was out of my chair as well. I was out of <laughs> yeah. my chair too. I was shouting for yeah. it. That was before yeah. the replay. So, yeah. I mean, I, he, he, I think he was expecting contact and it didn't come and he kind of looked, he knew himself. As soon as he got up and walked away, he knew he looked sheepish. You're like, oh, okay, he's, uh, he's trying to play uh, it I don't him. think it, it was... Like a hundred percent a dive, and that it was a premeditated dive. I think he did anticipate contact. I think he was in yeah. his speedos. It was so premeditated. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, if he's pre- if he's premeditated the dive, VAR are going to pick it up anyway. So even if well, he wins exactly. a penalty, so he's not going to get yeah. it. So it's, it's not. A, There's no point in that. Very it's smart thing to do. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so we will we'll take that yellow and move on, and, and Leo hopefully will learn from it. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Gav. I was just going to end up with a hilarious quip that it was a bad attempt. Yeah. That's great. Time for you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't worth coming back to me. (laughs) No, wasn't it? I was just going to say, I'll just catch up some of the comments and welcome to everyone who's tuned in on the live stream on YouTube. Um, Shane Beaton says, afternoon, evening, boys. So, afternoon to you, Shane. Uh, Michael Ross, hail, hail, my fellow Celts. Uh, also says, Sevco podcasts have been comedy gold since Sunday. And I can certainly uh, second that because I have been listening to a few excerpts and they are, you know, they're a funny bunch at the best of times. But oh, after a defeat, it's, it's hilarious. Um, Ian says, good morning and hail, hail from Scotland. As a team, we had too much composure and class, superb results, some impressive individual performances, making it a comfortable one in the end. And I think we've already discussed that that's, we absolutely agree with all of that. And Michael Ross jumps back on to say, ha, 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 Gav. So I'm not sure if he's, he found your um, Abada joke uh, funny, but I think that was actually before your joke. That's not a sarcastic ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of things I wanted to just discuss briefly about the game. One is uh, about Kyogo. Um, obviously, another two goals. Could easily have had four um, on the day. He's three goals in his last two games against Rangers. And he's hit, he's on target for 30 goals this season. So in terms of strikers for Celtic, where do you think he lines up um, since the, the benchmark striker for Celtic, who, who's Henry Larson? So do you think he's the best striker? He comes into the conversation now for being the best striker since Larson. Well, definitely. I, you can't you can't put him to one side and say, oh, there's there's obviously better. He's just certainly up there. He's like you say, he's on course for thirty goals a season. Um, he's got a conversion rate. I was looking at some of the stats came out on one of the sites. He's got a conversion rate of about thirty four percent, which is really high for a striker. Seventy percent. Um, Passing accuracy, 57% passing accuracy, is it? No, passing accuracy is 7% and shot accuracy is 57%. So he's well on course for that 30 goals. And yeah, he's 
he's definitely going to be up there for it. He's on three goals in two games against Rangers, and that, that really does signal that he is the real deal for me, like. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at some of the strikers we've had since last season, you know, it, it, there's pretty slim pickings, to be honest. Um, if you take out guys like um, Craig Bellamy and Robbie Keane, who were only here for a few games and can't really, you know, come into that equation, um, I think he does stand head and shoulders above. The only one who would be close to him would be maybe Gary Hooper, but, you know, I'd certainly had, I'd have Kyogo before I'd have, I'd have Gary Hooper. So what do you reckon, Gav? Well, I think the the reason there's a debate is because of the nature of the job that he's asked to do, you know. Like we said before, he's the tip of the spear. He's there to run into space, to get on the end of things, stick the ball, be the last guy to touch the ball before it ripples the net. And, you know, the reason people don't rate him or whatever or, or don't see the full value of him, I think, is because if you compare him to other strikers who were asked to do so much more, you know, they had to do much more, so they delivered on that. You know, the kind of strikers who curl one in from outside the edge of the box or dive in headers or, you know, volleying at home from, you know, six-yard box or whatever it is. A lot of Kyogo's goals are very similar because of the way they play, you know. So I think that's why it's kind of a little bit difficult sometimes to compare strikers is because the jobs they're being asked to do are so very different. But there's no doubting his qualities when it comes to being able to execute the job he's been asked to do. You know, the stats don't lie. Mm. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Toomey's just jumped in the comments here to, to mention um, Odson Edward, which is a fair point. You know, he would come into the conversation as well. Um, but, you know, looking at what, what, you, what you're talking about there, Gabby Keogh's work rate outside the box uh, and what he brings to the team as an overall player, and how critical he is to the way we play. I think we put him above both Edward and Dembele, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, for me, I think he certainly does come into that equation now as being the best striker we've had since since Henrik. Um, and, you know, obviously it's debatable and everyone will have their own opinions on that. And if you have, please jump on the comments and let us know. Um, the next point I wanted to chat about was the centre-half pairing of uh, CCV and Starfield. And... Um, Individually, they're great players, but I think as a, as a centre-back combination, they're the best we've had in many, many years. Um, and, if, you know, certainly since the Martin O'Neill team, uh, we had Johan Mialbi and Bobo Baldi, uh, they're certainly the best we've had since that. I think individually, probably Van Dijk was a better player, as he showed when he went on to be, you know, arguably the best player in the world for the time. Uh, but playing together... I think they're, they're they're certainly the best we've had for 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 a number of years. What's your take on that, Gav? Yeah, difficult to argue with. They're both fantastic, and at this precise moment in time, they're an incredible partnership. And you know, I expressed last week that I have occasional misgivings, you know, about Starfelt when he's under pressure and he's trying to play the ball forward. He does tend to get rushed. There's been lots of examples of that, but it doesn't mean I don't think he's a great defender. I think he's absolutely excellent. And, you know, he was brilliant in the cup final. And he is the kind of player that I think, you know, if he left ever to go and play for a team that doesn't ask him to spread possession out to the wings and, and, and such and going forward as much as he's asked to, I think he could be viewed as 
you know, an absolute top quality defender in that role. You know what I mean? Because none of his shortcomings are ever showing up. But yeah, both of them, I'm delighted to have them. They're, they're both fantastic. Yeah, I think individually, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers probably a better player. Um, certainly an outstanding defender. Um, and being a, a you know a, a, the cornerstone of a Vanji Celtic team, he's so solid at the back, um, and he, he's just excellent. He, he's very very powerful in the air and very very strong in the ball. So difficult to dispossess. Um, so where, where would you where would you rank Cameron Carter Vickers in amongst our defenders, Willie, of recent years? Oh, he's certainly one of the best I've seen at Celtic. Like I mean, Van Dyke, I've seen him a few times in in, in person, but. Carmen Carr Vickers, he just he's an immovable object at the back, you know. What I mean, if he gets the ball, nobody's gonna dispossess him. Doesn't flinch when there's challenges to be made. He knows where to be and when to be there. It's just it's all around. It's just so cool and calm. You, there's no you know, you never see him getting flustered, you never see him panicking and punting a long ball up the pitch. He's always just takes the ball in his stride, reticulates it out, whether it's out to the right to Johnson or Back in Starfield or in, in McGregor in the midfield, it's just nothing phases him, you know what I mean? And it's just it's so reassuring to have someone like that at the back. When you look at some of the centre halves that you've had over the years, that you've just been like, oh, hang on a second here, this guy's like Jos Hoyfeld or Daniel Mistorovich, players like that who have good games and then have games, and you just put your head in your hands and think, what are you playing at? Like, you know what I mean? And you don't get that with Cameron Carvickersley. And with Starfield yeah. beside them, they just have an understanding with each other. You know what I mean? If 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 Cameron Carter Vickers is wanting to move up the pitch a little bit, Starfield will step in there and let him go, or vice versa. You know what I mean? It's just. Mm-hmm. And as Gavin says, like to go back to what Gavin said about Starfield, I would like to see Starfield play if they like, in his natural position as right centre back, because I think a lot of the mistakes and poor passing is him trying to readjust his body to yeah. get the pass out and take time to get that pass into where he wants it to be because he's not naturally left-footed, you know what I mean? But as a partnership, yeah, it's hard to say that that they're not one of the best we've seen in the modern times. Right? It, they definitely are, right? On that point, just what you at, said about... Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, CCV never getting dispossessed. Fat Boy dispossessed him, didn't he, in the cup final? Much to all of our surprises. Yeah, there was one moment in the game. But the fact that that was so surprising is like the exception that proves the rule, you know? Mm-hmm. It never happens. So when yeah. it happens, you really notice it. Yeah. I think it was just a, a sort of weight thing, wasn't it? Just um, yeah. to get <laughs> managed yeah. to throw his, throw his belly into the right, get the momentum going. I think, that's how he got his, I think that's how he got his goal, to be honest. He just sort of put, lent his weight on it. Moy when Moy was going to go for the header and just 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 pushed him out of the way with the weight and then all of a sudden he was free. How how um, how funny was his goal celebration? I mean, he's a very unattractive he's, man. Yeah, very yeah. very disappointed to lose a goal, but it brought a smile to my face. You know, he's waving yeah. his hand around like a demented madman. Like, come on, he's barely flapping out the bottom of his jersey. <laughs> oh my god! Did he did he bless himself as well? Just to just that's right. Yeah. yeah. I seen a tweet. Oh, they'd have someone, that one. Yeah, I seen a tweet in summer on Twitter. We had the holy goalie, and they've got the holy roly poly. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite good, and I like that. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Um, You'll so be yeah, getting a ha 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 in the comments. 
Yeah, I hope Mag is a ha ha. That's funnier than your joke, Gav. So I'm going to claim that one. <laughs> so, yeah, so CCV and staff felt excellent. CCV had a, an interception, and Peter Peter Calero in the, in the comments has mentioned that. He had the clearance in the first half where he slid in. I think it was Sakala came in off the right and squared the ball. And if, if he hadn't if he hadn't gone to the ball, it was a tap in for one of the, the Rangers forwards. Um, and he slid in. Yeah, superbly timed it and, and got it round the post, which was, was absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, another another thing I will add about Starfield is that like, when I was looking at the stats for Kyogo on that website today about his the shot up, so I had a quick look at Starfield and he actually he's high one of the highest ranking players every week for Celtic, like for an average of seven point seven nine in the ratings. Like. So for a I'm much maligned player, he still scores quite highly, right? I'm liking your research, Willie. You've clearly been studying this week. Uh, did I, and I just wanted to, like, when we're saying you're going to compare, like, is Kyogo as good, the best striker since Larson? You've got to do a little bit of homework on that one without throwing stuff right. out there. I'm not right. knowing. But I, I was yeah, quite yeah, surprised no. to see that, that Starfelt fact. Because you, you read week in, week out on social media, people maligning, like you say, maligning him and having a go at him. Oh, he's a bomb scare. He's this, he's that, he's an ex. Then you see it week in, week out, he's scoring over seven, seven point seven nine was his average or whatever. So he is an he is a good defender, right? No doubt. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. The stats, the stats just show that he's he's very consistent, and um, yeah. So we'll move on. Um, next topic I wanted to chat about was the, the, the Rangers and their, their general disrespect for Celtic, uh, both in the run-up to the game where, when Fashion Sakal was referring to as the other mob um, and saying we were they were the better club and the better team. And um, even during the game that the fans were, were singing during a minute's silence for the, for the recently deceased Hibs chairman. Uh, and then after the game, they disappeared up the tunnel without waiting for Celtic to, to receive the trophy, which is just not done and very disrespectful. And um, also something I didn't notice at the time on their jerseys, um, they had via play cup final written without the name of the teams embroidered around the badge, uh, just so they didn't they didn't have to put the name Celtic on their jersey. Um, so that sort of petty nonsense for me just sums them up. Um, and That's do you hard. think it... Do you think it's getting worse, or is it was it always the same? I I think it's as bad now as I've seen it. Right, it's um, you look at the, before the game, the, the Green Brigade were trying to set up the tifo, and the, the onion beers were chasing them. And the minute silence—that's the second minute silence—they've disrupted this season. And the first one was at their own stadium for one of their own players that passed away, I think, and they started shouting out, and then. Obviously, Celtic fans got blamed for it, but when you look back at the TV replays, like the Celtic fans are sitting there in silence, and the shout comes out from the Rangers end, a derogatory term, shout came out from the Rangers end into the Celtic crowd, and then it all sort of blew up from there. So, and as the the thing with the badge is like, oh, we don't want to be associated with Celtic, but last season they had Old Firm FC all over the stadium when we came to visit them. You know what I mean? It's just like, what what do you want? Do you want? To be, are we one and the same? Or? Like you, one minute you want to be, you're, you were forever tied together. The next you don't want, you just want to disassociate us. It's just like very contradictory what they do at times. Yeah, I think yeah, the level of big... pettiness is, sorry, I think the level of pettiness is probably correlates directly to the extent of Celtic dominance overall. You know, the better we are, the bleaker the future is looking for them. 
the more that kind of thing is going to come up. They're going to have to try and score their points where they can because it's not on the field of play. Yeah, they're, they're very quick to talk about things like stand, upholding standards and dignity and all this when, when it suits them. But when you when, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, they've got no standards and no dignity at all when they lose games. And, you know, the, the thing before the game, I did see a clip from a Rangers uh, a video log uh, before the game, and they were talking about this, that carry-on you were talking about there, Willie with the Green Brigade and the, the Union Bears before the game, which, you know, amounted to very little other than a bit of pavement dancing, you know, and they were mm. claiming it as some sort of victory, you know, they, they, because the Onion Bears apparently chased the Green Brigade and that was, you know, they'd have already won up for the day. You know, that sort mm. of sums them up as a club, to be honest, you know, when, when that's the sort of thing that they, 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 they judge to be important. But it's, I just don't get it. I mean, the days of football violence died in the 80s, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's gone, it's done, it's dusted, like, and they're sort of trying to regurgitate, like, I don't see the point in it, like, you know what I mean? That's not the kind of society we live in anymore. It's just horrible to see, like, you want to run around with masks on, chasing people up and down the street, frightening civilians, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not nice, but it's sort of, it's there now, and you just got to try and deal with it, like, and, the SFA need to step in and say, hang on, you need to start controlling this. You can't be doing this sort of things, you know what I mean? Retrospective punishment needs to come in for things like this, but they won't do that because the SFA are cowards, basically. Yeah, you'd love to see someone in the media calling them out for this. You know, I, I understand yeah. they can't control what their fans are doing outside the ground, but all that stuff about, you know, not having Celtic on their jersey and, you know, disappearing up the tunnel before the, the, the trophies presented, it's, it's poor. Very poor form, and it's easily fixed. But it, it, it goes back to the stadium as well, the fans in the stadium. I mean, Celtic were beating them home, away, at Hamden. They were beating them the whole time for a little while there when Rangers came, got into the Premier League. And they decided, oh, we can't have this anymore. There's there's 8,000 of you there partying in Ibrox. We're all ones going home, sad. So your allocation's now 800, not 8,000. Right? And they spat the dummy out big time there doing that, like, and then you hear people in the media say, oh, it's about time these two grew up and put the allocation back up to what it was. It's not us that needs to grow up. Once you come back to the table with the proper offer, and out the, the Broomland, was it the Broomland, the Copeland stand? Yeah, the Broomland stand. We used to get the whole The Broomland stand, aye. You used to get the whole, once you give us that back, we'll give you the 8,000 seats down there in, in Celtic Park as well. Like, but the ball's in your court. It's up to you to come yeah. I don't know. It's, it's it's sad. I think the I think the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers now is they're as far apart as they've ever been. Like, you know what I mean? That that that, that, that sort of hatred towards each other. I don't, I don't want to use hatred. You know, <laughs> don't want to sort of nastiness in a bit because it does sound bad. But it, it's there and it's it's always been there. But I think it's more now than it's ever been. If I'm honest, I don't know how you feel about that. Like. <laughs> Well, like I say, I just think it's because they find the situation to be very frustrating. That Celtic's gone one way, Rangers has gone the other. And they had a little brief moment of joy there under Stephen Gerrard. But it's uh, as you were. And I think that looks pretty bleak for them. And they are the people after all. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's I going to take a lot for them to try and catch us. Like we are so far ahead of them, I think. Even financially, we're far ahead of them on the pitch. 
we're so far ahead of them. The stadium, I mean, that that advantage we have of what is it, fifty four, six or seven thousand. It's seven to ten million a year cash more through season ticket sales, March Day merchandise and stuff like that. You know, I mean that's a head start you get every season on them. So yeah. they're forever going to be behind us. Like they had the chance in the nineties to be where we are now by investing like we have done after after we've taken all that money from the Champions League and we've reinvested in the squad we've done at the stadium now. They had the chance to do that, but they chased glory, they chased the European Cup. Spending multi millions that they didn't have, it all came back to haunt them. Yeah, they're a long way behind us, but you know, in the words that they themselves use, we welcome the chase. Yeah, anyway, moving on. Um, a couple of comments. Um, the guys have mentioned, uh, Michael, sorry, Ian Eason has mentioned that the sad thing about the minute silence was it was a minute's applause. Was in silence and they still managed to disrupt that, which is very true. Uh, Peter Caleros jumped back in to say after the title win two seasons ago, they were expecting to win a few in a row. After one in a row, they are now staring down a Celtic treble, which is a very good point. They, they did think they were back and all the rest of this rubbish mm-hmm. and going for 56 and all that sort of nonsense. Um, and now they're, they're, they're faced with a crushing reality. And um, Edward Wyavoz, welcome Edward. Uh, Rangers fans are just frustrated that Celtic are on a different level now. And uh, yeah, that just reiterates what we've been saying. So yeah, next up, um, we're going to have a, a, a new one for us. It's a competition, so it's a special competition time. Um, and this competition is around um, guessing what the TIFO and the Huns end at the match was meant to be. Now, anybody who can provide the correct answer for this is uh, is going to win a lifetime supply of Hun Tears, which are in plentiful supply just now. Um, so if you've got any clue what that was meant to be, um, please enlighten me and us because I really don't have a don't have a single idea what they were trying to do. Any offers, guys? Yeah, well, I saw the pictures on the of of both the TFOs. And, you know, you can see what the Celtics one is, for sure. It's a phoenix rising with flames, phoenix from the ashes. Theirs was a bit of a mess, for sure. I couldn't work out what it was supposed to be at all. One of the uh, one of the Rangers bloggers that I was watching, you know, their match day experience, and they go into the ground, and then the TIFOs go up, and they all start singing about the Celtic one. What the fucking hell is that? You know, but that's exactly what we're all thinking about there. One, I then researched it on Twitter for this conversation and I found what it's supposed to be. So if you genuinely don't know, Steve, I can I tell you. I genuinely don't know. The, the best, my best guess, there was a Dundee FC badge. Uh, I heard people saying that. I can't it was, a, yeah, it was the RFC was. thing, but a strange version of that. Like, not the usual RFC thing, which is a very complicated kind of thing to try and create a TIFO of. Yeah. So that's why that looked like a dog's dinner. And then the other half is that wee cartoon character that they have of a fan. I don't right. even know who, what the name of that person is or whatever the hell that is. But, I mean, union means joining together, right? Mm-hmm. But those TIFOs... I'm afraid we're a bit more bare than Union, if you ask me. Aye. 
the TFOs, it's not just them, Sunday's TFOs, it's every TFO, the attempt is the same, isn't it? Like super noodles and some of them, like even on Sunday, do you remember them magic eye books you used to get in the 90s? You stare at this little picture for 10 minutes and then a boat would appear. I think that's maybe what their TFOs are. If you sit there and stare at it for 10 minutes, like Alfredo Morelos will appear in the middle of it or something. I don't know. It was even like, like there was one game, they, I think it was an old uh, Glasgow Derby game last season. They had a bed sheet they pulled out on the stand and it was just like somebody had washed a white bed sheet with a black sock and it was just all grey and stained. It's like, <laughs> Can't even get that right. <laughs> yeah, my favourite was the Davy Cooper one, which was a dead ringer for Alvin Stardust. <laughs> that was oh, a, to me, that was a, that was that was a high water mark. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so none of you I wanted a competition for that, Gav. It was a you know, you're not getting the hundred tears for that. That was um, you only got half of it right. Well, I mean, I only found out by research, but it it really was appalling. And like yeah. I, I mean, it's sort of, it's a metaphor for Rangers in many ways, you know. Yeah. Difficult to discern their identity on one side and then cartoon character badly drawn on the other. Yeah, Strange Love the Doctor in the comics. He uh, reckons it was a, maybe a Picasso-inspired portrait of King Billy. So possibility, I mate. Uh, Michael Ross reckons maybe you need 3D glasses to view it. Which is another one for the kids. <laughs> Remember watching the TV with those three D glasses on back oh, in the day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we'll move on from the game. As much as we'd like to talk about it all night, um, as I said, uh, the weekend review podcast, which goes out on a Monday night, it does a great in depth analysis into the games. Um, so make sure you go and check that out if you haven't already. Um, next thing I want to mention was uh, the, Angie's comments today in the press conference um, where he was basically responding to media speculation recently been linking them to jobs away from Celtic uh, Leeds United, Everton have been brought up uh, and I'm just going to read out um, a couple of things that he had to say I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and not really worry about what other people see I'll tell you what, the first thing that will be said, and one of you, the media, will be the first ones to do it, is that I'm not ambitious enough because I'm not moving on. I'm still here, even though people have been getting me out the door, and I think you'll be surprised how long I'm here. I'm consumed by trying to make this club the best it can be, and I'll enjoy every minute of it. So it doesn't really sound as if he's, he's planning to go anywhere anytime soon, does it? Or is, do you think he's just, you know, that's just a... Uh, shot across the media bows. What do you think? I mean, you can't hope for him to say anything more than that. That's just perfect as always, you know, the way he expresses things. See Celtic Cicero, I like to call him. He's a great orator. Uh, but, um, yeah, I just hope that, uh, and I believe we can take the man at his word and that this isn't just talk that we'll one day look back on and lament yeah. you know but I, I believe I, him yeah I, I believe him too there seems to be a sincerity of what he says it's, it's not empty words like you had with Brendan Rodgers like that's for sure but um, he appears happy with the project he's got he seems engaged with this project this is something he's really looking into as something I can progress Celtic whether it's to try and push to the next level in Europe which for us is to maybe finish second in the Champions League group or third even and get a little run in the Europa League or whatever. 
but I do think he, I do take him for his word and what he's saying there, because like I say, it's a project he's got up and running, he's taken all these players over for Japan and it, it's proven to be a success so far, so I, th- I can see him staying maybe another season, possibly two, who knows, uh, Gordon Strachan himself says that there's a three year shelf life for Celtic managers, Rangers managers, so he's only in the second season, so maybe the end of next season you could turn around and say that he might be getting to the stage where he thinks it's time to move on, but certainly not at this point. No. Yeah, he's got this um, uncanny knack of just saying exactly the right thing at exactly the right yeah. time. Um, a, a great, a great man manager, you know, and just exactly the sort of guy you want in the in the in the Celtic manager's role at the moment. Um, my my own feeling is that we will have him next year for sure. Uh, we'll have another crack at Europe. And I think the sort of key line for that is he wants to make the club the best it can be. Um, and if he if he thinks he has done that, he reaches a level in Europe where he thinks you know that can't go any further. Then I think you know he, he will quite possibly move on at that point. But I don't think what you say is correct, Willie. I don't think he'll be doing a Brendan Rodgers and disappearing in the middle of the night no. with half the Celtic backroom team or any of that sort of stuff. I think when when Ange is going to leave. I think we all know he's going to leave uh, and he'll go uh, with our best wishes and with his legend status uh, fully intact. Yeah. yeah. But I, what I liked about that is at the very end of it, he just has a right slap at lazy journalism in Scotland by saying, if I choose not to go, you'll probably accuse me of being non, not ambitious enough by not going. You know what I mean? It's just, just the way he can put words together just to really just put it to them. Because it is lazy journalism. It is like, oh, there's a job in England. Quick link on Poster Pogba to it. Or, mm-hmm. They did the same with Martin O'Neill in the past. Every time a job came up in England when Martin O'Neill was there, he was dead cert to go there. In fact, I bought an auto, not an autobiography, it was a biography at the time when Martin O'Neill was manager. And I read the introduction to it. Whoever ghost wrote it, it said, is that I'm fully I'm fully expect Martin O'Neill to be Leeds manager by the time this book is published. Put away, never even read the rest of it. Just I'm not, I'm not even bother with that. It is yeah. just lazy journalism. But I've got a story. Let's just go and link on Poster Cogwood somewhere. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he has that that uncanny knack of just saying the right thing at the right time, and the journalist is just head down, looking at his feet. Then, like, you know what I mean? And it's great to see. There's no blow-ups with him. There's no what kind of stupid questions that to ask me getting up, storming out. It's just slaps him down straight away. Brilliant. Yeah, so Peter, Peter in the comments reckons there's a time when Angel will leave, but he'll let us know beforehand. Uh, Angelo Tyro has uh, jumped on to say, Angel's got all of his boys at the club now. He's not going anywhere. CL and a trip to Japan to come. Uh, which is very true. He's got that Japan tour, so I think he want to be around for that. Michael Ross reckons he wants a crack at Europe. You mean another crack at Europe, Michael? But yeah, I know where you're coming from. I, I think he probably sees Europe as being where the Celtic need to prove themselves next um, after what is you know basically domestic dominance now. And Strange Love the Doctor reckons is a long-term project and the perfect platform for Ange to build something special and test his philosophy on the big stage in Europe. And that's, you know, that's a great point as well. He, he's in the correct place for Ange just now as well. He doesn't want to be going at this, in my view, he doesn't want to be going at this stage of his career to a bottom half EPL team where he's going to get himself into relegation struggles and um, have to compromise his own 
ethics to to, to, to keep a team in the, in the league because that's just not him and I'd hate to see him ending up in that situation. And the way he talks about Europe, you know, he talks about incremental progress every time you're in the tournament. And I think we all get the feeling that the first go around was just like an introduction and what can we learn and how far do we have to go? And I think he would have learned loads from that. So at least three cracks at Europe in the Ainge era, I would say, at least. Yeah, definitely not going uh, anywhere on the, any any time soon. And um, and you know, thank God for that. I definitely so think we'll it's next season. Like we've got a crack at the Champions League. I mean, we're always on to win this title, and we're entering into the Champions League is guaranteed at that. So, yeah, he's definitely. I would say yeah. he'll definitely stick around for another shot at the Champions League. Like, yeah, I think we'll. I think we'll know a bit more after next year's European campaign. You know, definitely. So yeah, moving on uh, to our next section. Um, and this section is called Everything You Wanted to Know About Celtic But Were Too Afraid to Ask. Uh, this was a suggestion that, that Gav made uh, that many of our listeners, maybe from the Southern Hemisphere, Australia, New Zealand and Asia, and might not be as steeped in the, the history of Celtic uh, as some of the rest of us. So we're coming, we've come up with a, a few different uh, questions which we're going to talk about um, each week. And hopefully this will be a regular um, occurrence moving forward. Uh, if you have anything, if you're in that position, you're here in Australia or in New Zealand or, or, in, or in Asia anywhere, uh, and there's something you want to know about Celtic, then just stick it in the comments or reach out on Twitter, Facebook or YouTube, and um, we'll see if we can answer them in, in future podcasts. Uh, but the first, the first thing we were going to talk about tonight is why is Celtic pronounced with a soft C uh, instead of a hard C as in Celtic jewellery? Or Celtic artwork or Celtic music. Um, so Gav, I think you're gonna you're the man with the with the answer to that one, if you could just enlighten us all. Yeah, well that is the question. Why does Celtic have a soft C? Unlike as you say, the word Celtic. Uh, in fact, why do we say Celtic FC and also the Boston Celtics? Well, the answer is basically one of linguistic history. Languages constantly change and pronunciations come and go. And the root word is from the Greek Keltois, K-E-L-T-O-I. I'm sure Ange would approve of those Greek roots. And then there was a time when the C of the word was soft for all uses, the C of the word Celtic. It was always soft. Sometime in the 1700s, the hard C started to become used more widely. At the time of naming the club, at the end of the 1800s, and then naming the Boston Celtics in the first half of the 1900s, both the hard and the soft sea were in use at the same time. And some people say Brother Walfred, the monk behind the establishment of the club, preferred the hard sea at the time that Celtic were created, in which case we'd be watching Glasgow Celtic putting on a show. Since the mid-1900s, the hard seas become the predominant usage. So Celtic is the way we say the adjective. As you say, Celtic jewellery, the Celtic cross. But you know, these kind of words, words that describe, are more likely to change in time through natural usage than actual names. So once the club was named Celtic, the proper noun is unlikely to change with the times. So... 
Celtic it is and Celtic it shall remain throughout the centuries. I mean, centuries. <laughs> oh, dear, 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 Gav. What are we going to do with you? <laughs> it's a comedy platform. <laughs> it absolutely is. Um, so, yeah, um, the next one... Um, we well, I was just going to ask, did you guys know that? Have you always known that? Or is no. it a question you've ever asked yourselves? Because... I don't think the questions we're going to be tackling are necessarily for new fans. Some of them will be like questions that you think to yourself, oh yeah, right enough, why Why is that? Well, I, personally speaking, I did know, I knew all about the Greek pronunciation of, of Celtus, you know, but nah, I'm only kidding. No, I didn't, I didn't know that, so it's, a, it's an education piece for all of us. Um, and, um, you know, so th- thanks for that. That was a very, very, a very, very thorough description of what we were looking for, so there's the answer. Um, Linguistic history on uh, Celtic Down Under. And it's all for free. <laughs> so the next question we were going to look at is uh, why what, why is Celtic Park called Paradise? So, Willie, do you want to have a stab at this one? Well, probably because it's just paradise to be there. It's just a joy to be in there, I'd imagine. I, I have no idea. I haven't really looked into that one now. I had another question to look into. Okay, so maybe I threw you under a bus um, a little bit with that one, mate. So, we'll be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't prepared for that one, man. Right? Yeah. Paradise. All of a stab. All of a stab at this one. It was a last-minute for all the listeners. It was like a last-minute change um, to, to the run yeah. sheet, but, but you know, we won't go into that too much further. Um, so I'll, I'll take this one on. Um, so basically, the, the term paradise came from a, a quote that was attributed to an anonymous source round about the time when Celtic moved from their original site, uh, which was not where the origin, where the current Celtic part is, but it's just on a site to the right of the Janefield Street, uh, the, of the, sorry, I think it's the Janefield Cemetery, which sits at the back of the North Sand. Yeah. Um, and at the time, someone remarked that it was like moving, moving to the new stadium was like moving from the graveyard to paradise. And that's, that's sort of the, the most popular um, the popular story about where the term paradises came from, but it's not definitive. Uh, there's a few different um, there's a few different takes on it that maybe, but it was due to some quotes attributed to the men who started Celtic, who were all devout Catholics, and you know they were all quite made quite a few references to heaven and paradise and all that sort of thing. So um, you can really take your pick, but that's the the most common one that I could find was that it was about moving from the new stadium from the old stadium, which was next to the graveyard, to a, to a new stadium. And it was like moving from a graveyard to paradise. So um, if, um, if we're all happy with that, we'll move on to the next question. Yeah, I'm happy with that. But just another point that I discovered when I was researching that question was that the original site, they were forced to move in 1892 when the landlord increased the annual rent from £50 to £450 which was most likely a move, I would imagine, to try and scupper the new Catholic club, because who would have been the landowners in those days? From £50 to £450, massive increase. Then they moved to the new stadium. Uh, They bought then their new site. Celtic bought the new site just five years later for £100,000 after five years of great business success. So that original landlord must have been spewing at his decision to up the rent a wee bit. 
Yeah, I'm sure there was some sort of uh, anti-Celtic bias at play there um, and something we've had to put up with down through the years and maybe a, a subject to talk about in a, in a future podcast, I reckon. Yeah. So, yeah, so the last one we had on the list was quite a simple one, really. What's the difference between Celtic Park and Parkhead? Um, and that's just really Celtic Park is the name of the stadium and Parkhead is the name of the area. Um, it's not really, it's not really in Parkhead, um, to be honest. It's more like Barrafield, uh, but it just became known as kind of towards Parkhead, and um, it's just sort of that's the name that stuck with fans down through the years. I mean, the name Celtic Park, it's not really, you know, it doesn't really grab the imagination or anything like that. So I think mm-hmm. you know people have used its used the name Parkhead for that reason. Parkers is the young team call it one. Parkers, yeah, there's nobody ever <laughs> called it ever. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, so that, that leads us into a conversation about um stadium naming rights. Yeah, um now is that something any any of you two would ever be in favour of? Because obviously there's a lot of money to be made about renaming the stadium. And given that we don't have an iconic stadium name, like maybe you would say about Anfield or something like that. I don't really feel as if it would be a problem selling the naming rights to the stadium. Um, it would always still be Celtic Park to us, uh, but if we could make a, a, a pot of cash by calling it by some com- company name, you know, just grabbing something out of, 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 of my day or something like the Guinness Stadium or something like that. Have um, you been reading my notes, Stephen? <laughs> this is almost exactly <laughs> what I have written in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> There's been no plagiarism going on here. I can assure you, Gav, it's all above board. Um, so yeah, so so what, what do you what do you think about that? Then would, would you be in favour of selling the naming rights? Well, I mean, you've literally hit various points that I was going to say. I think if your name, if you're a football club, and the name of your stadium is Football Club Park, like Celtic Park, St Mirren Park, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Cardiff City Stadium. It shows such a lack of imagination that you shouldn't be too bothered about a name change. Stadiums with names that deserve to be treasured are ones that have their own identity. As you said, Anfield, Old Trafford, Stadium of Light, those kind of terms, even Molyneux, Tannadice. Those at least have some sort of identity associated with those words. So it might be harder to change from an emotional point of view. But, of course, the big issue is, you know, once you put it up for sale, you lose control over what it's going to be to a large extent, you know, and you're signing up for whoever, I suppose, is going to offer you the most cash. You still have to decide to go along with it. But, you know, it can change over time as well. Like Leicester used to play at the Walker Stadium. Now it's the King Power Stadium. So... If it was something like the Guinness Stadium that's on brand, like you mentioned that I also have in my notes, the Guinness Stadium or the Magners Stadium, uh, that would or be fine. Irish, but, really. Uh, Irish or booze related would be fine. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, like what what's on our shirt? It's Daffabet yeah. currently, and that's hopeless if you yeah. ask me. Imagine playing at the Daffabet Stadium. Like Stoke City play at the Bet365 Stadium currently so that's a realistic danger so you know you might, you're giving up control and it might be something you don't like the sound of that sticks in your throat every time you say it 
Willie, you've just muted yourself. I was just thinking um, the the Bolton they had the Reebok Arena, and it's I was just going to Google it. It's changed its name. It's something really strange at the moment. It's like the university, the local university stadium or something. I think I saw. If you were going to change it, 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 it uh, the University of Bolton Stadium, it was something else. Maybe it was a, a season or two ago. There was a, a really funny name for it. Like. But um, if you're going to change it, it would need to be something iconic. Like the, you look at Bayern Munich in Germany, Allianz Arena, it's, it is the Allianz Arena. St. James's Park in Newcastle, they got changed to the Sports Direct Arena. But it's always going to be St. James's Park, isn't it? And it's it's Celtic Park too. It's always going to be Parkhead or Celtic Park, whether it's got Sports Direct Arena on it, whether it's got Allianz, whether it's got CR Smith Stadium, you know what I mean? It will still be Parkhead to the eyes of the fans. It's one of that, I don't know, if you were needing really, really needing the money to progress things along, then yeah, it's something you could look at. But I think we're in a good enough position right now financially to say, do we need to look at it? I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I, it's one of that ones you would need to, you would need to think about it. You know what I mean? From the perspective of what is the name going to be? Because you, you just don't want something that's going to be tacky stuck on there, right? you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Lord, um, Lord Flash Hart in the comments has just jumped in to tell us Bolton's new stadium is sponsored. It's Tough Sheet. That's the one now. I was just thinking there, Tough Sheet Stadium. Tough, I was like, oh. tough Sheet. Yeah. It sounds to me like a form of constipation. <laughs> yeah, you so you're exposing lost, yourself lost to ridicule. You know, if you get it wrong, if you get the wrong sponsor, you're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, right. I like Bolton right there, the tough sheet arena. Right you just can't. Do, I so, mean, yeah. the Iron Brew Arena would be pretty good. Something Scottish, right. the Tonics yeah. Stadium. Okay, maybe maybe we need to give that a little bit more thought. Yeah, so. it's 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 one you could do. I mean, if you wanted to say like we're going to try and push to the next level, then you need extra money. Or if you wanted to to do a, the main stand and bring it up to the same level as the rest of the stadium, you might need the money to do that. And the sponsorship that could come in for it might be the money that that, that that you need, you know, the level you need to do that improvement. Yeah, it's a fantastic stadium, stadium yeah. that hosts yeah. massive occasions. You could probably yeah. get a pretty penny for it. I got no problem yeah. with it as long as, you know, whoever's making the decision makes it in a sensible and controlled way, you know. Yeah. As long as well, it's the right name and not tacky. Angelo Tyro in the comments has just drawn a line under the whole question by telling us we should call it the Saint Ange Stadium. Uh, so that's a that's a done deal. We'll name the stadium after him, and hopefully he'll stay with us forever. Try it'll be good, like. Yeah. Okay, so we've just ticked over the hour, so we're going to have to bring the podcast to a close. It's been a very enjoyable. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to uh, to what we've had to say about the game and, and some other stuff. Um, don't forget to tune in to the Wednesday, the original podcast tomorrow night uh, for some more chat and uh, I would imagine some more poking of fun at our friends from across the city um, as well as a look ahead to the weekend games. And uh, Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube. Um, like us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and give us a like and a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um, so I'll just go around and get final thoughts from yourself Gav 
Oh, I haven't prepared a final thought. I, I know we had a couple more points to talk about, which we'll have to defer to next week, but I'm delighted to see that the Tuesday crew has no shortage of ideas of things to talk about under your leadership, Steve-O. <laughs> As I say to you in the, in the chat, this is a socialist collective, Gav. There's no leaders. And here we are selling the stadium to the house. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like hypocrisy right there. There you go. Sums it up. And what about you, Willie? You got any final thoughts for us? No real final thoughts, I suppose. In this week, it's if if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. That's it. That's a good one. Um, so with that, we'll, uh, we'll call it a night. And um, enjoy the rest of your week, guys. And hail, hail. Hail, hail. Hail, hail.